It's no secret that I love a good cup of coffee. This trip that I'm inviting you on right now, it's been life-giving for me. Good coffee, good Jesus people, good gospel mission. I wanna introduce you to the part of the world where your shot of caffeine today, well, where it's coming from and where your mission dollars are hard at work, where physical and medical needs are being met. Oh my goodness, the tractor that's behind me that you can see back there, that was purchased with missions money that was raised at Venture Christian Church. This is where good gospel soil is being plowed, where great gospel seeds are being planted. In today's Where in the World, we're hanging out. You know, Sure you've heard of Mother Teresa. She was four foot nothing. The endearing photographs of her that we're all familiar with show a senior saint with a deep lined face, perhaps some age spots, well past what most people would refer to as the prime of her life. Mother Teresa served the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. She made a big change in a lot of people's hearts, but you know what she didn't do? She didn't donate millions of dollars and watch them from a distance as her wealth spread across the world. No, she didn't make an impact on so many people's livelihood by investment from a distance. She changed the world by loving and loving hard. It's easy to get caught up in the big things nowadays. In our competitive society, bigger is better and sometimes we forget that the clear instructions that we were given by our Lord are to love. That means right here, right now. We must love. But that mandate brings up important questions like how and where. Toward the end of her ministry, Mother Teresa was often asked by her admirers how they could make a difference with their lives the way that she had made with hers. Mother Teresa's often repeated response was simply, find your own Calcutta. Stay where you are. Find the sick, the suffering, and the lonely right where you are, in your own home and in your own families, in homes and in your workplaces and in your schools. You can find Calcutta all over the world if you have eyes to see. I know that it seems as though the impact will be bigger if you fly to Mexico or Honduras, to build homes for a few weeks. But the truth is that any change is a step toward the goal, to love well. What Mother Teresa is saying is that if you can do big things, surely you can do the seemingly small things and make a huge difference. I'm sure that at some point, you've thought about what might happen if you were born somewhere else, if you had been born perhaps with different parents or in a different home, if you were born as a celebrity or a millionaire, but here's the thing, you weren't. You were born, well, where you were born. And you're where you are right now for a purpose because God is a master planner in order for us to find our Calcutta, our place to love, we have to realize that it is our responsibility 
to use each moment as our best opportunity to love. Because, believe it or not, your Calcutta has probably already been found for you. It's in the places that you are right now. It's in your office break room. It's in your living room. It's in the grocery store. It's in your cul-de-sac. It's wherever you are, whatever you have influence over. But here's the question. Are you leveraging your influence for the right things, for Jesus things? The thing about a calling is that it's different for everyone. You've been placed in the city you are with the passions you have and the joys you carry. The experiences that you have encountered and the gifts that you've been given, well, they're all for a purpose, to love. This mission to love each other, well, it's rooted in the hope and the belief that we'll be helping them grow closer to God, even if they don't know it yet. Be an example. Be an example of the way Christ loved and lived. Remember, Mother Teresa didn't become Mother Teresa because of the big things. Her lasting impact is found in the investments of moments of kindness, moments of Christ's love. This reminds me of a passage in Scripture, actually. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse, verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. And if you skip down a few verses, for Christ's love compels us. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And then verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself as in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And I love verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And so, for the rest of our time together today, I pray that as we explore Honduras and what God is busy at work doing here through some of Christ's ambassadors, remember the verse we just read? Well, I hope that your mind will be constantly drawn back to your calling, your ministry, your mission field, where he's placed you. So allow your heart to be filled with the Holy Spirit and look into the eyes of those who need loved.
we are in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, which is right in the middle uh, of the country. And on the map, if you drew a line straight from Carmel south, you would pretty much run smack dab into where we're sitting right now. My name is Felipe, and I work with his eyes here in Honduras doing whatever needs to be done. And I'm Valerie, and I am the staff optometrist at our clinic. I went through optometry school four years, married, and then during optometry school, uh, I was able to come to Honduras on a mission team. He wanted to come the next year and came with the team and fell in love with it as well. Um, so then there was the opportunity to come and help the missionaries start the uh, optometry clinic in the medical clinic. And so we thought, well, we'll do that for four months. After I graduate, we can do that. And so on our, our last day of the four months, we were in the airport and um, I, we were at the ticket counter, I'll never forget. And I felt this pull, like I, I could not, like my legs were like stuck to Honduras. And I looked at him and I was like, I think we're supposed to stay. And he looked at me, he's like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, we're leaving today. We're going back to get moment. our real jobs. You know, we're, we have to go get real jobs, of course. That's what you do when you're... I might have also said we had no money. No, probably. Something very practical. <clears throat> so I was like devastated. So we went back to the States, um, Indiana. I got, we got real jobs. Yep. I was working for an optometrist. He was working. And then a couple months later, we got to come back on a trip again mm -hmm. with Just the students. I was the doctor this time, and they were the optometry students. We had set up the eye part, the optometry clinic in the medical clinic, and the medical clinic was going because there was Hunter and doctor and a nurse. Mm -hmm. But the optometry clinic, when we got here, the, all the stuff was dusty. There was nobody using it. There were no optometrists to work it. There was nothing going on in the optometry clinic. So I just remember, so I, was, I didn't go into the room because I'd been there, and all the students were in there, and the people that were in charge were telling them about how their goal was to bring down an optometrist like one week out of the month and keep it going. And I heard uh, a voice say, you need to move here. It was just like a like a whisper yeah. to, to where I I knew what I was hearing, but I still did, and I knew there was nobody behind me, yeah. but I still did kind of turn around <laughs> and then just was like, okay, all right. And then didn't say anything to her until we got in the car at the end of the trip in Indianapolis airport, we're driving back and it was just, uh, I got something I need to tell you. And then I got something I need to tell you. I was like, I think we're supposed to move to Honduras. It, it, it wasn't anything more than just saying, saying yes. God called us here. Like, I love it here. I wouldn't want to live. If I wanted to live somewhere else, I guess I could. Sure. But then I wouldn't be where I would be designed to love, so. Uh, the clinic, which, you know, oh, just medicine and optometry, but now it's like, dental and lab and gynecology and pediatricians and like a staff of 15. Um, seven churches around the country, uh, a clothing ministry, the Milk Project, which has 100 kids in currently two locations, uh, two coffee farms. We're also farming some avocados and other things to, to give away. And then the short-term groups and then also getting coffee back to the United States for people to enjoy. Coffee really is an outgrowth of trying to plant a church for God, finding out there's coffee on that property, seeing the great economic need in, in the community. What we want to do is help people economically, give them a job, uh, help transform our community by seeing pe people seeing how we do that, 
And one of the ways we do that is try to help them more than maybe they would be helped other places. Um, plant other crops than just coffee on there that we don't sell, that we just give away. And then try to do everything to a standard that honors God and honors the, uh, honors the property that we've been blessed with. We've got now two farms and then so another church that grew out of coffee farming, which was a little backwards, but that's the way God orchestrated it. And so, uh, you know, I don't know where this is going to go from here, but it's, it just keeps going, keeps going up. So the milk project is really an outgrowing of the clinic and seeing malnourished kids and saying, how can we help them? And then, but then immediately saying, but how are we helping them spiritually? Because I've always said, if, we're, if we ever, ever find myself working in a humanitarian organization, then I, need, then I should just go. If it's just humanitarian. Because, yes, if it's just humanitarian. Because people will be hungry tomorrow. People will need glasses tomorrow. But the only thing I can give them that's lasting is a relationship with Christ. Bring Good News sent us $5,000 to do some brigades because no teams could come. So we did them just as a staff. So we took two of our new dentists and we went to a town where we have a church, but we've only been there a couple years. And we haven't taken many teams there and they pulled teeth. And then, and then the we went day, the we next day Madrana, to the place we've been there for 20 years. They pulled teeth. And without, her, without them knowing, in the car, I said, which place had worse teeth? The yesterday or today, or was it the same? And they were like, oh no, they had much worse teeth yesterday than today. And I was like, that's, that's the difference. Caring about people, teaching people, telling them they gotta brush their teeth. It's been really cool when you can see that like change in generations, it's like just kind of a little mind blowing. When we first went to that town and started the church, the pastor was like, this church, this community up the road wants a church. And we're like, oh, we don't have, we don't have any money for that. And then like two years later, I was like, hey, it's going well. What about, what about that community? What community was that? He's like, oh, no, no, no. those guys come to, come to church here now. I was like, well, why did they say they needed a church up there? He's like, oh, they wouldn't come to this town. It was bad place. They would go around Depressed. it. Hey, I get the privilege of serving on our elder team here at Venture with some incredible men. One of them is with me here in Honduras. He's actually been showing me around. He's very well familiar with this ministry because part of his heart, it's here. In addition to serving as one of our elders, Jamie Stuber leads our missions team here at Venture. And he also serves on the board of directors here at His Eyes. He's found some of his own personal Calcutta and his calling right here. Jamie, tell us all about it. It was 2004, I'm 29, a new father, a surface Christian, and we were doing an all church small group initiative, similar to what we experienced this fall with a journey home. This was the Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And this study takes you through the five reasons of why we are here, what God wants from us as Christians. Five really spoke to me then, mission. I didn't really know how to do that, but going on a mission trip seemed like a good idea. Mission was right there in the definition. So shortly after that, I signed up for a mission trip to Honduras. Thankfully, my friend Rick Wolford was leading that team. So that trip happened in 2005. We poured cement, put a roof on a building, alongside other Hondurans, visited a state hospital, played with kids, and did these things called medical brigades. We went out into a village, these remote villages that didn't have any access to healthcare, 
and basically brought the clinic to them. Our last brigade of that trip was to a very remote village up in the mountains. This village, San Pedrana. It was a, man, it was a long day and we were all tired. I happened to be trying to watch over the kids while a team member that was on that trip, a pediatrician, was seeing the last family, the very last family of a long day. This lady had three kids and the two older ones were about the size of my kids and, and those were the days before uh, instant communication. I, I hadn't talked to them in probably a week and I was really missing them. I vividly remember sliding down the cinder block wall in the, in the school and I, I would just sit on the floor. I was just tired. And I really, honestly, I was hoping they would hurry up. I wanted to get back down off the mountain, stop at a convenience store, get myself a Mountain Dew and a candy bar. This doctor was talking to this mom who was holding this baby. And the, these, these other two kids, like my kids at this time were probably three and one. Um, these kids were eight and six. So they were, they were uh, malnourished. They hadn't been growing like they're supposed to. And the, the, the mother was specifically talking about the baby and she couldn't understand why her baby didn't cry and why these older kids weren't growing. And after some, some conversation between the mom and the doctor and a translator, it was determined they were all starving, literally starving. This mom was just doing the best she could, but it wasn't enough. She was even watering down the little formula she did have to try and make it last longer. And I've ha held my share of crying babies, and that, that statement hit me like a ton of bricks. A six-month-old baby that was too weak to cry. I left that, that school, I left that room, and I wept. I, I cried like I never have in my adult life. I'd never been exposed to something like that. I had a, a shell, a barrier that was over my heart before that trip, and it was broken. They were able to get her in contact with a minister of a local church and, and get them some help. But, and, and I often pray for this mom and her kids were help, but I, I really don't know. We all hear about the millions of starving kids. I, thought I, I really thought I understood what that meant before this trip, but I was wrong. Um, until I stepped out of my, my comfortable cocoon, I never understood the unbelievable circumstances some people are living under every day. God was reminding me that it was not about me. I certainly don't share this to bring any attention to myself. I have an infinitely long list of flaws and things I mess up every day. But I do want to use my, my story to encourage you. I don't know what gifts God has blessed you with. I am guessing most of the time it's just being bold, not being scared, listen to the Holy Spirit, getting out of the way, and let God help you to live your life to the fullest. I know exactly what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, well, that's all and well and good for people like Jamie Stuber or Felipe or Valerie Colby, but I'm just a guy or maybe I'm just a gal and I live in Fishers, Indiana. I don't have special medical skills to serve people with eye problems. I don't know anything about starving people. Don't you? Do you ever just stop in the middle of the grocery store or maybe in the middle of Walmart or, or Kohl's? And just look around you at all of the people. Man, I, I do this sometimes. And I ask myself, I wonder, if, I wonder if he knows Jesus. I wonder where she is at right now on, on her faith journey. Here at Venture, our vision statement is, we seek Jesus and we see you. Am I really seeing people for who they are? Do, do I really have Jesus' eyes, his eyes? Do I see hurt? Do I see loneliness? Do I see spiritual seekers right in my own backyard? Because here's the thing. God does call some people to serve him in Calcutta. 
God does call some people serve him in San Pedrana to these little boys that are watching this right now or, or Tegucigalpa. Many of you, through your faithful giving, you fueled some amazing ministry here. I don't know, maybe he is calling you to physically serve him here. I certainly wouldn't want to discount that idea. But here's what I do know for sure. He's calling you to serve him. He's calling you to bloom right where he's planted you. He wants to be the Lord of the harvest over your life, wherever he's placed you. Here's a good question. Are his plans for you bigger than your plans for him through you? I love what Jamie talked about in his testimony just a bit ago. He briefly mentioned that he learned something in a spiritual growth journey many years ago. Remember the purpose-driven life? He talked about that. And he mentioned that there are five reasons for why we're here. What God wants from us as Christians. Not because he needs us, but because he wants us to live full lives. And he wants to do amazing things through us. Here they are. First, worship. But not just singing on Sunday. A lifestyle of worship. Romans chapter 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He wants us to center our lives around him. Second, fellowship. This is meeting together and encouraging one another. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says this, let us not give up meeting together as summer is in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, it's been so encouraging for me to spend some time down here. I see how God is using his people, Christ's ambassadors, to encourage people. Third, discipleship. This is becoming more mature as Christ followers. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Literally die to self. Are you following him daily? Fourth, ministry. This is using our abilities to help each other. These are the one and others we find all throughout the New Testament. It's challenging us to find our own Calcutta. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Fifth one. The fifth is our mission. That's telling others about him. Jesus says in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, I love this. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This was the mission then, and it's still the mission today. Hey, it's your mission. Well, it's his, but he wants to use you to accomplish it. So, gut check time. How are you doing in this area? Are you seizing every opportunity that he's given you? Today, as you drive home through familiar streets, as you seek to live out our vision as a church, we seek Jesus and we see you. Are you really seeing people? Do you see the souls who Jesus has placed right in front of you? Maybe just look around you and find your own Calcutta. There are some other great servants here in Honduras. I want you to meet some more of Christ's ambassadors. This is what we've been talking about. I want you to meet some more of Christ's ambassadors right here.
Okay, my job here is to organization all the clinic. The vision is to make a hospital here. I start, I was go to the church, the Christian church. In the church, I know Felipe, Valeria, and Rick, and Kay Wolf. When I want to study medicine, but I can't because I I needed uh, money for the student. When I know Rick, Rick was a famed director, and he come to Honduras and he tell me if I want a scholarship for study medicine, and I say yes, I want, and I start to study medicine. I compromise with uh, his size to work for two years uh, in the clinic. But my mind, in my mind uh, is, was uh, to attend the patient, not make a director or administrator of the clinic, because it uh, was uh, new for me to administer this clinic because I didn't know how. But God gave me the answer and I accept to, to administrate this clinic. And my plan was only two years, but I have seven years now. The rule here is never, never you, you can uh, say no to the people. We have maybe a thousand people or more every month in this clinic. They uh, receive the help the people in the United States give for this mission. When the purpose is to help the people, I think the decision is, uh, is good. If you say the people, everything, it's okay, God help you. The people remember when the problem finish, it's worth, it's worth because God help and they remember always. Venture, I know that many of you have been on a mission trip down here to his eyes. We're sitting in San Pedrano. San Pedrano, that's it. I'm gonna say it the way he said it, except I can't. I want you to meet Oscar. Those of you who have been here, you've probably met him before. He serves with the team here. Oscar, what is your role with his eyes? What do you do? I go a missionary here with Felipe. I try to care the pastor, care the farm, care uh, anybody help with building. And whenever when they need me, I go to help. My favorite thing is uh, in the churches, uh, when the pastor, when we had a training or something like that, or when, 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 we, when we need to talk about what, how the churches or what they need to continue the gospel day by day. In the beginning, uh, the milk project was because uh, what the kids need is milk. So that, that was the milk project. And most of the children, uh, they don't have a cup of milk on their houses. Uh, we help seven neighborhoods around here and we classify them in how they are in their houses, uh, about their poverty. Okay, Dulce Marisa, uh, she lost uh, 
her mom uh, two years ago. She only lives with her father. So when her mom died, uh, she was here with in her office because her dad didn't want to tell Dulce that her mom passed away. They, they live right here next to the Mill Project building. They didn't have money to pay the rent, so they have to move to another place. So her dad is working at a gas station, but when the pandemic begins, he didn't have a job. So right now he lives in the gas station. And for a few months, Marisa was living with him in, in the gas station. Right now she is living with her grandma in the south of Tegucigalpa. Choluteca. It's about speeded two, two hours from here, but she will not continue in the mill project because she moved to, she will be attending school in Pespire. So as a director, uh, I have to talk, to communicate with uh, their parents, and I have heard uh, a lot of sad stories. The money the sponsors give uh, is for shoes, uh, medicine, uh, some uh, copies to print copies here in the Mill Project, and for food. And we help them if they need to go to the clinic. It's bien extenso. They pray for uh, their families, for the employees, for health, peace, uh, and their uh, home. We have a lot of kids that uh, they, they don't live with their parents, maybe only with their mother or father. And also for the children that are far from God to get close to Him. Could we do that right now? Can I close by praying? I'm just going to lean in. Do you mind if I... Orar? Father, we, uh, we just pause and we pray. And Lord, we lift those things that were just requested that before you are God. I pray for Maria, and I pray for her staff team, and I pray for all the folks here at His Eyes that are doing holistic care to love your kids well. And taking care of medical needs, and dental needs, and eye, and vision, things, and things like the Milk Project. I pray for those kids that I'm sure have been profoundly affected by a global pandemic. And I pray for the staff team, I pray for Maria herself, and I just pray that you encourage them. And as they are more and more Christ's ambassadors, with their sleeves rolled up, be in the hands and feet of Jesus in a place that desperately needs that. I pray that uh, you use them in powerful ways and I pray that you fill them up as they pour themselves out for you, their God. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you do, what you did on the cross, what you continue to do in this world, um, seeking to redeem it and draw all people closer to you. And for each of us in our little corner of the world, Lord, would you use us uh, as we open our hands and we just say we're willing. God, use us however you will. And it's your name in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.